Welcome to Chit Chat Stocks. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer analyze businesses and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Stocks is a CCM Media Group podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Stocks by Ryan, Brett, or any other podcast guest is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. This is Chit Chat Stocks, uh, formally Chit Chat Money. My name is Brett Schaefer, and I'm joined as always by Ryan Henderson. We are testing out a new video streaming software or just recording software in general. So I'm actually not sure if this is going live to YouTube right now, but I think it is. If not, we are going to just pause this and redo it the old way. But Ryan, I guess you're the one supposed to be checking here. Do you see it on the the page yet? See a little refresh? Anything showing up? Yeah, it's showing up. I am a little worried that, well, first of all, short Zoom. We're we're officially no longer customers, so uh, adjust your models accordingly. Um, But yeah, we're trying out a new, we're experimenting with a new technology here. Uh, You can see how tech savvy we are. It says not so deep dive. Oh. That's the title. So we retired that. That must have been an auto thing, but it is still, it's still going on. It's what the customers want. Our listeners have told us, don't get rid of the not so deep dive. So maybe we have to just, this is them speaking (laughs) to us. Yeah. All right. I don't know how to change the name on that, but I thought I changed the name to the investing power, but let's just get to it. The name is going to call it weird. I'll change it after. I think the people understand uh, when they join what it's going to be. So let's go through. My little intro here. Welcome in to the Investing Power Hour. This is number 97. Two more, and we're going to hit 100. Still got to figure it out. We've been procrastinating what we're going to do to celebrate episode 100. On these episodes, we talk about anything in financial markets. Could be earnings, could be something. Any news story. I mean, we might talk about the sports streaming thing today. We got a lot of earnings this season. Spotify, Disney, I got Meta, Amazon. There's really an endless amount of things. Uh, I have a winner and a loser this week. Winner, Adam Newman. Loser, arm shorts. I don't know if you saw that, Ryan. But before we get started, I want to say, if you enjoy these episodes, the best thing to do to support Chit Chat Stocks is to give us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And subscribe to our newsletter. The link is in the show notes. Name Chit Chat Stocks as well. And I think we may be going live on Twitter at this very moment, Ryan, but I haven't checked. I clicked the button and I think I connected, but are you seeing it or not? Because I know Twitter, their tech stack might not be as robust as the old YouTube. I'm not seeing it, but I say we just get into the show and uh, kick things off. And if Twitter's behind, then so be it. It's not a change from the past. So uh, it'll be live on YouTube, though. I am seeing us there. So before we get into things, I do want to talk about our friends at Public. You might know Public.com as the all-in-one investing platform. They have now launched options trading. And with it, there are some 
they're doing something no other brokerage has ever done before. Public is sharing 50% of their options trading revenue directly with you, the customer. So whenever you trade options on public, you get something back. And of course, there are no commissions or per contract fees either. By sharing 50% of their options revenue, you'll know exactly how much they make from your options trades because public is giving you half of it. In other words, it's a more transparent approach to options with no fees, and you get something back on every single trade. So go to public.com and activate options trading by March 31st to lock in your lifetime rebate. Guess verbal disclosure real quick. This is paid for by Public Investing. You have to activate options account your options account by March 31st for revenue share. Options are not suitable for all investors and may carry significant risk. They do carry significant risk. Full disclosures in the podcast description. This is for U.S. members only. With that said, shall we get into the content for this week? We've got a lot on the docket. Maybe you can start with your winners and losers. Who's been a winner this week? Who has been a loser? Yeah, maybe let's do that second because I'm tweeting out the show link. But (laughs) why don't... Do you have any winners or losers, or maybe you can even talk about one of mine because I have the I have the notes in there. I don't mind you stealing the hmm. the intro information on any of these. I guess Mark Zuckerberg's a winner in a way. I saw this. They he is officially so into mixed martial arts that they had to add a risk factor on their 10k that if that he could get hurt and. Uh, it could drastically affect the company. So he's been really pumping that whole MMA thing for himself. And it sounds like he's officially included as a risk factor because of it. Um, Kind of just funny to see that included on a risk factor. I can't say I've ever, the only one that's kind of similar is when we looked at shift four payments and they're like, our CEO is an astronaut and things could go badly. And so just be cautious about that. And he's very important to the company. So it's kind of funny to see some uh, see executives with other hobbies. Disney reported this week, always kind of controversial slash entertaining. I think our regular listeners here know we are maybe, I don't want to say haters, but not the biggest fans of Bob Iger uh, and mostly related to the turmoil that went on with the executive suite last year. However, it seems like things are improving there, and there's a, been a huge shakeup in the media industry overall over the last week because we're going to talk about it here, but they are teaming up with Fox and Warner Brothers Discovery. So kind of, uh, I don't know if you'd call that arming the rebels, but joining joining armies with uh, some competitors in a way. Did you uh, hear about that? Any thoughts? I did, yeah. Thoughts are that these traditional players are still in a tough spot. The rumor is that these will, excuse me, the subscription will be $50 a month. So not too much cheaper than the traditional cable bundle. And I think the reason these traditional players that host these sports rights are going to be in a bit of a bind is because typically, or excuse me, historically, you know, They've had such a cash cow with these sports leagues and the fact that everyone had to pay for them through the bundle is getting eroded. And in order to just simply replace the old revenue, they're going to have to charge quite a bit to these sports fans. And 
I'm still, I, I don't know whether it's going to be successful, but this app feels desperate to me and you still have Amazon, Apple, YouTube, and then possibly Netflix, depending on what they kind of got one toe in the water so far. And I think, look, these guys can outbid you. And I think it kind of changed the game for these. I am really interested what happens to this market over the next five years or so, because it seems like a lot is crumbling. And I don't know. I agree. I don't know what the end state's going to be, because how many people are going to sign up for this? Yeah. Do we need a new app? Is that going to solve all our problems? I don't think so. Uh, if, if you're Disney, I don't think that's going to solve everything. Uh to kind of give some context here, here's a quote from the Wall Street Journal. It says, ESPN, Fox Corp, and Warner Brothers Discovery are teaming up to create a supersized sports streaming service that will offer content from all major leagues, a deal that will reshape the sports and media landscape. Now, I think there's something important to distinguish there. Content from all major leagues is not all content from major leagues. It is individual games the odd game here and there. And I don't think that's what people are looking for. In my opinion, I think they want services where it's simple. You get all the games access to everything within one spot. Whereas this sounds like the same issue that they had previously where people are fleeing the service because, or maybe not fleeing the service, but they're getting the odd game here and there, and that's not the same as having access to all the games in the league. So uh, I think I prefer Apple TV's strategy. Same with YouTube in a way where they've gone after Sunday Ticket. I know it's hard to get all of the NFL league rights. That's probably never going to go to a single uh, a single service. Um, but like, I just like having it all in one place. And I think... YouTube TV is still going to be the ultimate winner in sports streaming, even though they are not like, they seem like the catch all. Yeah. Whenever I I think think about who wins, it feels like it's going to be YouTube TV. And I know that the content might actually belong to the ESPNs and the Foxes and the Warner Brothers discoveries of the world, but unless they take it off of YouTube TV, it seems like all the eyeballs will be there. Yeah. Economics might not be. Which doesn't really matter to YouTube. What does YouTube TV cost right I now? I think it's like 60 bucks a month. Uh, I believe that is too low, but it is 73 normally. It's just cable all over again. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's what it is. I mean, and it works that's what YouTube really well. TV is. Simple. It's not like they're not trying to pretend they're anything else. No, 100%. I guess. I guess with the Sunday ticket, it might change things a bit, but yeah, decent. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. But the the reason I wanted to know the price of YouTube TV is because okay, seventy five bucks for YouTube TV, or I can get fifty dollars for this new streaming app from these other two companies. Is that going to move the needle for the sports fan that's younger that can afford these things? I'm not so sure. And it's not like you get all the channels anyway. You're missing the stuff from Comcast and Paramount. Yeah. So half of the NFL games, I think, are not on there. Yeah, it's tough. Who knows? I mean, maybe this is the better strategy than the ESPN Plus. 
but this uh it does like you said it feels like kind of a last ditch effort to put something together and i'd be surprised if it ended up really successful and kind of pulled disney's sports business into profitability the other One thing talk disney earnings or unrelated sure. or on unrelated this is an anecdote i'm a netflix ad supported subscriber now no longer <laughs> reaching the parents account they got me but it's like i think because the ad business is so nascent for netflix the ad load is just tiny so you get like in an hour long show you might get 30 seconds or a minute of ads right in the middle and then it's like that's it you compare that to a service like peacock it's like just 10 times better um so if there is ever a time to get the ad supported tier for netflix it's before they've scaled up their ad business um anyway disney earnings let's yeah let's look at um revenue was slightly behind expectations but there was an earnings beat so earnings per share came in a little better than Wall Street was expecting Disney Plus subs fell quarter over quarter, so there was a sequential decline. However, they raised prices substantially or by a decent amount in North America, I believe. So the price hikes offset, I think average revenue per user was up like a dollar, which helped really basically total revenue was up for the service. So I think it's probably the way to go. Uh, I mean, that's going to help them get to profitability a little quicker. The uh, the only concern, I guess, for me, well, for one, there was a lot of news around like the streaming efforts with Fox and Warner Brothers. They also invested a billion and a half in Epic Games. Not sure where they're going with that. It says the media giant will work with the Fortnite gaming studio on new games and entertainment unit for them. I don't know. These feel like side bets where it's the kind of thing they can do when their core business is humming. But right now it doesn't feel like maybe the right thing to do. Feels distracting. Yeah. Yeah. I I still am left thinking Disney's in a difficult place. They're planning to, or they're on pace to cut costs by seven and a half billion dollars in 2024. The parks business still wonderful, but I worry about the streaming operations. The runoff in linear networks is quick. Revenue was down 14% year over year there. So I guess I just not sure exactly where they go from here. I do think there's a path to profitability within direct to consumer or their uh, streaming business. But I also think they might be redirecting some costs within there which this has been a red flag for me is that while they've been transitioning to streaming their kpis and part of this is frustrating because i can't post like a decent chart their kpis keep changing how they label things keeps changing and so it feels like they might be reallocating some costs and saying oh our segment profitability is improving uh when maybe we don't really know what the true cash flow is in that business. So obviously at the high enough price point, I think they can be profitable, but it seems like they're going to have to keep taking prices up a bit. You look at a competitor like Netflix who has raised prices a number of times, subscribers continue to grow. Disney, in their case, 
they're seeing quarter over quarter declines because they chose to raise prices. So every time I look at Disney's earnings, I think I should just own Netflix. Yeah. And the price on Netflix might be a bit for the stock might be a bit tough at the moment, but I agree with you. I don't see where the end game is. I mean, look, it's all about family friendly content. That's the moat. That's where they're supposed to have the bread and butter. But I see engagement growing within gaming among kids. Still, you see Roblox, their engagement continues to grow around the world. Yeah, that's not going to affect the theme park business for a long time. But I just think within the, the immediate future, what are kids using? YouTube. It's Roblox, it's YouTube, it's gaming. It's YouTube in a huge way. I, and, Ro- and Roblox, and too, Roblox. But YouTube probably bigger, but Roblox... And Roblox on of, YouTube. Yeah, it's a combination, <laughs> all that stuff. Minecraft. I don't... Does the situation get better over the next five years? Where, like, if you look at Amazon's call, you look at Google's call, YouTube, whatever, they, they just wrote their annual letter. So it kind of reminds me. Apple's a bit secretive, so it's hard to tell. Are they going to get less aggressive or more aggressive in sports? I think more, yeah, given what tough. they're saying. And it's like, okay, well, where does ESPN end up? That business looks really bad right now. I just don't understand where they're going to go from here. And then you just throw a, a billion and a half dollars at Epic Games. <laughs> if gaming was the future, you should have invested into this 15 years ago. Yeah, they, uh, and I, there's no idea, like, there's no context on what that stake is worth, or, well, the stake is worth one and a half billion, but, uh, there's no numbers on how much of Epic Games they buy with that. So it's kind of just they're throwing money at the wall here, and it sounds like hoping something sticks. Every single quarter, I look at Disney and I come away thinking, there are easier hurdles or there are easier investments to make because like you said, it's just an engagement thing. Like they could still create really good content, but if engagement is elsewhere, if competition for engagement is high and coming from all sorts of different mediums, not just content players like the Foxes, the Warner brothers discoveries of the world, but people like Roblox and YouTube, it it just, feels like the moat kind of gets eroded for Disney. And even if they produce good content, it just might not be as valuable. And the problem is there's a lot of reporting on how Pixar has lost its mat, like maybe not fully lost its magic, but they are not the same. The, the culture is worse. Apparently Marvel's culture, it's just, just reporting. So who knows on the inside, but Marvel's quality apparently has gone down and people are complaining about the culture there. Lucasfilm, same thing. So yeah. All right. We can't talk about them forever. We got a lot of topics here. Anything else before we move on, Ryan? Well, Adam Newman news, but I'm going to let you talk about that here in a little bit. Spotify seems to have found religion. They are showing pretty strong cash flow, at least significant improvements in their free cash flow. The layoffs hurt gap profitability this quarter relative to what they said they were expecting last quarter. So it was still better than Wall Street's estimates, but if you looked at it at Q3 and you looked at their 
earnings guidance and then you saw their Q4, you'd be like, this is horrible, but there was a big severance chart. So don't, I guess, don't focus too much on that. It feels like to me, Daniel Leck, the team there have come around to the idea that maybe generating cash is a good idea. And here's my concern. And I don't know if it's a concern. I just want to get your thoughts on this, but it seems like their approach to investing and versus showing cash flow ebbs and flows with interest rates. And they've been kind of more forthright about this, I think. They've literally said here and there that when capital's cheap, we're going to invest. And now it seems like investors want cash flow and, and uh, cash flow today or capital's more expensive. So we're going to make layoffs and start to show profits. But I've never really seen – a lot of companies do this, but I've never seen companies be kind of so direct about it. investments are going to change. Like we're going to invest more on capital street and then we're going to show cash flow today. Do you seem or do you think that is the strategy for them? And what do you think about it? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I don't know if that was my takeaway from the call, but I can see that being a takeaway, I don't think that matters over the long run. The music business, the music business has shown to be much better than I even thought, and I thought it was pretty good. It's highly profitable. If you look at the numbers, you're going to see like negative consolidated margins right now, but you have to deconsolidate to the separate segments and the user numbers continue to climb. Subscriber numbers continue to climb. They're crushing the direct music streaming competition. So that's much better than you thought. And it came with a price increase. Churns did the same. Growth was phenomenal. You're seeing revenue growth be quite strong. But then the music side, advertising and podcasts worse than uh, we thought. So it's kind of a tale of two thing, uh, things there. Yeah. Right for the wrong reasons. The yeah, we basically came to, I think the estimate of around. We were like, this business could generate ten or fifteen percent free cash flow margins in the wrong in the long run. They, if I'm doing the math real quick, uh, this quarter doesn't count. The working capital change was not normal. They've gotten much. Uh, the improvement has been much steeper than I was expecting. 
You got to, yeah, this quarter, do not, any listener, do not get misled. A lot of it's working capital. Got to look trailing 12 month numbers for them, I would say. The, yeah. But they do have a permanent working capital advantage. Uh, yeah, I think 10% even operating margins, if you want to, should be fairly close over the long term. What do you think uh, we were wrong about on the podcast side? The ability to convince advertisers to get over quick enough because I don't, they got the supply there. Listenership is there, but we've seen it with ours. We, we use the automated ads uh, along with organic ads. And what is the con- like fill rate we get on a listen? Like 10, 20% globally, if you kind of work through the CPM they give us versus the, you know, on the impression versus the listeners. It's just not very high, so they, they need to get more advertisers because the supply is there. Yeah, I think that makes sense. They just haven't yet. Maybe I just overestimated the market potential for podcasting revenue. Yeah, but radio is so high that usage should follow, and I think they're just not executing. Yeah, I would have thought that if they owned the distribution for podcasting, it would A, be more profitable, and B, be larger in terms of revenue. So, And they're taking a 50% cut, right? I mean, 50% is bigger than a lot of like uh, smaller networks, what they take. So uh, it's surprising to me that they haven't been able to grow that business a little more quickly. Spotify, I, I don't know. We could talk about them all day. Do we want to hop to anyone else? Philip yeah, Morris. why don't we do my winners and losers, huh? A little fun stuff. Us losers. We were we were stolen from when Swedish match was sold. Yeah, we can't remarkable talk about quarter, that by anymore. The way. We, we we banned ourselves from talking about that, right? <laughs> I think we did, yeah. But a little uh teaser. I know Ryan you had notes about Philip Morris here, but I don't want to spoil everything for tomorrow. We're recording a don't know the exact title, but basically we're going to look at stocks either on our watch list or that we own that have done their earnings bef- uh, or really could use an update. We're going to do five of them. Ryan has three companies, Coupang, Harbor Diversified, and Philip Morris International. Yes, I got those right. I have hey, Nintendo spoiler, and, spoiler. and Ally. Uh, we don't know. Hey, we're going to go through them, kind of give an update what we think of the quarters and stuff like that. So we're not going to talk any of those today, but we're going to do a full show with hopefully better, more less uh, off-the-cuff analysis as these shows kind of go. I bought a new position this week, by the way. And uh, I'm not going to talk about it on this next week's show, but I think at some point, maybe in the next month or so, I can do a little research report on them. I'll just disclose it here. Dreamfinders Homes. I like the business. I think they've done a good job. And the model's pretty simple. I also right. uh, reached out to IR, and the CFO got right back to me via email, which was very nice. Nice to <laughs> see the responsive. Also shows me that maybe there aren't enough shareholders, <laughs> and she isn't that busy, but yeah. that's besides the point. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, let's hit winners and losers. My, what do I call it? Yeah, I called him a winner this week. Adam Newman. He is the tech exec that never dies. Uh, we can't get rid of him. The startup guy, I guess. Uh, 
here is a quote from the Financial Times. Adam Newman is trying to buy WeWork out of bankruptcy, claiming he has Wall Street backing to take control of the company he was ousted from after racking up billions of dollars in losses. I believe tens of billions, over 10 billion, if I remember correctly, if we total it up here. WeWork is essentially filed from bankruptcy. It's worth nothing now. Still got a bunch of loans and leases that they're sitting on that, to be fair, Adam Newman put them on. But, and here's the other exciting part from the second quote. Executives from Third Point, Japanese conglomerate SoftBank, and Newman last held an official meeting to discuss a potential bid for the company in October. People familiar with the process said, he can't quit them, huh? SoftBank, Masasun, I can't pronounce his name correctly, he cannot quit WeWork. It's destroyed so much of his company's money. He just but can't not quit. his. I guess not his. But He's not fine. his worth. Yeah. He, yeah. I, in fact, quite the financial samurai Adam Newman is because he juiced some money out of SoftBank before getting out, if I'm not mistaken. Now, some of that I think might have been in stock, so maybe it's not worth as much anymore. But he got like a massive payday to leave the company. He's using that payday to come back, buy him out of bankruptcy. That is some nifty... Uh, some nifty financial moves. I don't like the guy, but he's done well for himself. Yeah. He's rides the line of not actually being a scammer so closely. Because he's not technically like doing anything illegal. I don't think. From all the stuff I've read. He's just the, very good at convincing people to give money for, for bad ideas. The best part... Is, and you know what? That's a, that's an important skill set. Is that salesmanship? Um, he he went on an interview at one point and said, "I can't remember who it was with, but he said profitability is a choice." Well, this just goes to show that they are incapable of generating the profits they need to stay alive. And they are. We re, we visited WeWork as a potential. I think it was a not so deep dive about two weeks before they stopped file or stopped uh shares were no longer traded the they could not generate profits and they were trying as hard as they could so profitability uh i don't think it's a choice and adam newman might have been wrong on that one or maybe he just took him so far down the wrong path that he couldn't come back from it yeah now speaking of my loser of the week Remember when we looked at the ARM S1 and said, why is this valued at $50 billion? Well, Masa Sun said two words for you, AI. And he also said, I got a low float stock for you. They, okay. So if we look at their numbers, they reported earnings, I think yesterday or maybe this morning. Revenue was growing 14% year over year trailing revenue. For the last 12 months, about $3 billion, pretty profitable at about a billion dollars, actually not even up there. It's like $800 million in trailing 12-month free cash flow. But, but, Ryan, it's apparently the backbone of the future of computing. I read their presentation, got a little Masa Sun touch in there. They, today, are up 60% and have a market cap of $126 billion. So wow. if you were shorting this based on fundamentals, I think it's a lesson 
you do not go into something that's low float controlled by someone that's not afraid to pump stuff and do not short anything related to a bubble or kind of hype cycle theme because you can get absolutely blown up. A hundred percent. Totally agree. That's why you can't short companies like C3 AI, even though maybe (laughs) they're not stellar businesses, but they literally just, I think the ticker's probably worth their entire market cap. Um, or worth more than their business as a whole. But you also can't touch anything Masa Sun's affiliated with. It's important to know who you're up against. And in this case, it seems like Masa Sun has access to more capital. Maybe the right word. Do you think it is immoral if he dumps his position? Yes. No. Yeah. Should he dump his position, though? Yeah. <laughs> he probably should. I think he. That would be the fiscally sensible decision. However, I, I, yeah, I think it's immoral and it's, I mean, it's tough because Buffett's kind of had this problem throughout his past as well, right? If he takes a position, if he speaks positively about a business, it affects the stock sometimes so much so that it gets a little ahead of itself. I believe most of the time he tends to just keep holding there have maybe been certain situations where it didn't happen i think wells fargo was it wells fargo or walmart at one point he talked positively about the business and then ended up selling but uh you referencing the ProPublica one yeah there was a couple times i wonder if people ask him that at the annual meeting which yeah, spo- uh, ryan is confirmed going that i'm not sure no Ryan's cancellation got, Ryan's going with his, is uh our friends at uh finch there's, there's been a cancellation uh, I, I shouldn't have said that. Devastating. But maybe. You know what? Uh, yeah, well, hey. If you want to go. Side note. So we, we could still go. I'm not sure yet. But side note. How happy were you about the World Cup news? Oh. Yeah. I don't know if our listeners will care that much. But for context, 2026 World Cup is in the US, Mexico, and Canada. They're are going to be six games in Seattle, which is where we reside. Actually, Brett does not reside there currently, but typically he resides there. Pretty exciting stuff. I'm ecstatic. And not to mention Vancouver is a host city, which is uh, close enough for us to drive to. So I'll probably be hitting some games there as well. well. And the big surprise, we got a U.S. national team game. True. What's the maximum price you would pay for a ticket to that game? To the, US, to the U.S. game in the Seattle? US, the U.S. game, yeah. Because you're going. I know you're going. Yeah. I would probably spend 300 or $400. I don't oh, think it'll not... be that much. You don't think? No. Maybe on the secondary markets, but they uh, they give out, like, whatever, fan club members. Like, they give you access to tickets at, like whatever their price is, which is usually lower than that, I think. Ah, but damn, you're lucky. I'm not, I don't have that luxury. <laughs> it might be, I don't know. Maybe I just, I, I choke. think it's going to be I'll choke when that. the moment comes and I'll spend more, but I think it's going to be, I would guess it's going to be more than that, but I think I'd probably just pay whatever the cheapest one is at that point. I just don't care. 
All right. All there right. might be a cap. No, but... Who knows? <laughs> There's got to be a cap somewhere, right? Okay, before we get to our nice mid-roll ad, let's try to hit some of these questions. Will Arnold says, how do you feel about Uber's $150 billion valuation compared to Lyft at $5 billion? That is an interesting way to put it. That divergence is strong. I actually wrote an article on Uber, and I did a little double take when I saw that market cap. I mean, it is absolutely soaring, but the earnings have been quite strong. I, I don't know if I touch either right now. Lyft is no. just in a tough spot because Uber kind of controls them. But the fact that Uber is raising prices in the United States or North America where, where Lyft operates, they if they streamline enough, they can be fine. If yeah. they can maintain that market share without spending too much on market on you know sales marketing. With Lyft, I remember looking at them and thinking, God, it's it's a name that there's some brand notoriety in the world with Lyft in the real world. However, I just remember thinking there's no way they can get to profitability because, and maybe they were there, but there was no way they could generate like consistent profitability because they were at Uber's whim and they had done a lot of kind of cost cuts and got to like what was left and it just wasn't profitable. So, I, I came away pretty pretty much thinking it was unownable. Uber, I think, has become essentially a monopoly. And I do I'm I'm impressed by the improvement in profitability. However, someone raised this point this morning. They have done the easy stuff. Like they they've kind of raised the take rate, they've Race prices here and there. Uh, it seems like they don't. They're not really that forthright about it, and they are generating nine hundred million dollars in advertising revenue. So, how much? Like, have they gotten the low hanging fruit? How profitable could it really be? Does it warrant a one hundred fifty billion dollar market cap? Yeah, I'm not buying I here. I mean, it doesn't make much sense. I will say on Lyft though, still maintaining, according to this data aggregator. 25% market share in the US. So we'll see. I haven't looked at their numbers in a while. So maybe it's because they're still spending like mad on but market. If you're, it seems like to me that when you want a ride share at this point, you either just go straight to Uber or if you're still in the process of doing this, you go to Uber and then you check Lyft. And then the only way you take Lyft is if it's lower cost. Which puts them well, at a disadvantage. On ride, their estimate on cost per ride is pretty much the same uh, on this study. Remember, remember at one point they tried to go like premium service? Yeah, I mean, that was a mistake, I think. But it, they said there's the observed sale per customer is about the same. Lifts just a little bit lower. Hmm. Uh, I think $5 billion. I don't know what their balance sheet looks like, so. That could really screw things up, but if Uber raises prices and Lyft can just follow, it might work, but it's not a high-quality business, I don't think. Got some more questions here. Tyler asks, uh, do you think the sports JV kills the TV subscriber companies faster? I think we already kind of addressed that a bit, but you want to touch on that? 
I think it helps. Yeah. But like I, I think the key is the price point has to be way different than the traditional bundle for it to make sense for for like a new subscriber to hop on, for example, like us, you know? Like, okay, we didn't subscribe to YouTube TV or we didn't subscribe to the traditional bundle. But now that it's 50, are we going to subscribe? Maybe. It just, is it that much big of a difference? No, but I think the bundle was collapsing because of this anyways. And this might not be the final nail in the coffin, but there's been a lot of nails in the coffin. And once, because of the fixed cost of these content providers, once their subscriber levels of the traditional bundle go below a certain rate, your operating leverage reverses and it gets really ugly really fast. So I think that's what they're getting a little desperate about. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm just looking at some of the other questions here. Um, well, talk, someone talking said about that the Dreamfinders people... homes, but or, what's Man. that? Yeah, talk about that separately. Someone said that if they were shorting arm, they didn't listen to our interview with Upslope Capital. So I'd say that's true. Go listen to that if you want to learn how to avoid, as best as possible, the perils of shorting stuff that could go up 100% because Masa-san owns 90% of it. Okay. Do we want to talk about some hidden Canadian compounders? Ryan, go right ahead. And maybe just uh, mention our sponsor here, another sponsor for the episode, finchat.io, my place of employment, I guess. I'll just kind of ramble about why I like FinChat and then give you the uh, link to check out. And Brett, you can cut me off when you want. But FinChat is, for those that don't know, a stock research platform. You can, there's like 57,000 stocks, basically all the stocks in that are actively traded and some that have been acquired or no longer are traded. You can see all their financials, generic financial statements, as well as KPIs, which I think that's probably the part that I like the best about the platform. Basically, if you want to see Match Group's users, Philip Morris's Zin volumes or their ICOs volumes, stuff like that, very specific segment data, uh, they've got it on more than 1,500 stocks. So uh, go ahead, check them out. The link which is very important because it gets you 25% off is finchat.io slash chit chat. So if you want to, it's free, but if you want to get any paid plan, you can get 25% off by using finchat.io slash chit chat. The link will be in our show notes. I was working on a content piece for them this week that, and these, if you're looking for uh, a way to, drive engagement on the old Twitter machine, highly recommend doing threads like this. I said, Canada is has produced a lot of good businesses that don't seem to get a lot of discussion. Some do. Shopify, Constellation Software, seems like everyone talks about them. But, Brookfield. Yeah, Brookfield. There are some hidden gems. So it might take me a second to pull this up, but did you see the thread that I was talking about? I did not, but I will pull it up right now. Have you, you know, not to praise yours, this part of your job is to get the followers there. Have you passed 10,000 followers over at FinChat yet? Getting close, I've seen. Getting close. Very close. Ah. Oh, wow. Um, only 
30, 30, 40, no, 32 away. All right. I'm going to okay. pull it up. I'm going to find it. So couple good ones here. I basically filtered for businesses that outperform the market. And by the way, use FinChat screener for this. So you can just, that's another thing that I think is useful. Just whatever, do whatever screen you prefer. I looked up earnings per share that had grown by 15% or more annually over the last 10 years. And that ended up being a pretty decent filter because if you grow earnings per share by more than 15% a year for a decade, you're probably a decent business. Anyway, go easy was number one. It's like kind of payday loans or people that are trying to finance like furniture purchases or stuff like that. So it's really high APRs, pretty high default rates, but they've grown like gangbusters. A lot of logistics companies, a couple of logistics businesses in there. Uh, Dollarama, which is the business we've looked at before. It's the dollar store of uh, Canada. And 22% uh, total return annually for the last 10 years for Dollarama. We did a full show on them. I'd, I'd go check that out. And I will say an emerging dollar store down here in Columbia, Dollar City, really dominates. Does quite well. Yeah, what's and, the, totally. A lot of people you, there. Have you been in one? I have not visited it. It's not, shall I say, what I want to spend with my time, but I walk by one sometimes and it's always busy. Okay. So, you know, wouldn't to worry too much, Dollarama shareholders. Here's another one I like. Thought this one was kind of unique. Salveria, it's an $850 million market cap, has compounded its stocks at total return at 21.5% annually. They just build like wheelchair lifts and elevators, stair lifts, stuff like that for physically challenged people. And it's it's grown in a huge way over the last decade. But uh, I've heard there there's some kind of barriers to entry with their extensive dealer network. So potential little uh, small cap worth looking at there. I also hear that there are a lot of boomers that are getting old. Mm. So could be quite the tailwind. True. That is similar a to like the retirement community thesis, all that, all that good stuff. Any in here that interests you? That one definitely does. Dollarama does. I know that it's just more expensive. I like that there's just some terrible names, which is interesting. I also thought it was interesting <laughs> that Fairfax showed up. Fairfax, yeah. I believe the day we're recording this, had a short report come out. From Muddy Waters. Potentially from Muddy Waters. Which is quite spicy. But let me confirm that it's them. And for those that don't know, Fairfax, yes, it was Muddy Waters, Fairfax. It's all accurate. Fairfax is sometimes, I don't know if, I sometimes think like management teams try to perpetuate like rumors like this, referred to as the Berkshire Hathaway of Canada, which I bet the executive team loves there. But, huge property and casualty insurance business they are a lot of insurance businesses will just buy you know like very low risk investments and you know focus more on the underwriting and less on the investment side of things it seems like fairfax is more of an opportunistic investment management team so for example i think they bought credit default swaps before the financial crisis um 
However, they've made some other macro bets that haven't turned out as well or turned out quite as good in the years succeeding it. But yeah, it is, I don't know. It looks like they've done a decent job compounding book value per share, although Muddy Waters had some criticisms of them lately. There's another business here that I like. Uh, I can't I can't remember what the acronym is for, but it's BRP. Basically, they're the manufacturer of Ski-Doo and Sea-Doo and I think like Can-Am, so power sports vehicles, things like jet skis, snowmobiles, stuff like that. They have grown earnings per share at 38, well, 37% over the last 10 years. Pretty impressive. That's good. Huge like buyback. Type of it. Yeah, maybe they're smart, but consumer discretionary stuff like that worries me. Yeah, that's fair. That's not my favorite type of business. But that's a fun one, all right? I think we try to make these interactive ads you know, useful to the listeners. It's quite easy with, since FinChat, we use them all the time, really, for every episode. So anyone who wants to go check them out, go to finchat.io slash chitchat. Link is in the show notes. If you sign up for a premium plan, which is extremely useful, you get 25% off your annual rate, or if you sign up monthly, I'm not exactly sure what all the different divvy ups they have there, but that can save you a ton of cash. So yeah, go check that out. All right, next topic. I think I want to discuss Amazon earnings Philip simply Morris. because I sound right uh, on this one because it makes me it makes me look good. I don't own it anymore, I should say, but it makes me right for my takes for 2024. Yeah, it makes me feel good about it. That yeah. we can't just hold on to it. Yeah. But I have a question here that's more maybe maybe interesting. Okay. So let me go through the numbers for anyone that didn't see or was interested. I can just get early some of the key KPIs here. North American net sales accelerated to 13% growth in Q4. Operating margin was 6% in Q4, 4% trailing 12 month. International mm-hmm. is getting close to break even. Operating margin, AWS ex- revenue accelerated to 13% year over year with expanding margins. Third-party sellers grew 19%. ARR to uh, 100 billion? Almost. I think it's at like $97 billion in ARR for AWS. Perhaps next quarter. I will say last, I don't want to throw out too many numbers here, but third-party seller services, 19% growth. Ads, 26% growth. And subscriptions, 13% growth. I say those three because they're getting larger as a percentage of their overall revenue. And... um they are higher margins so can help with the margin expansion as they go quickly that more quickly than the consolidated numbers my question is do we see a hundred billion dollars in earnings soon for amazon if so when and is the margin expansion just green-lighted to continue going forward Hmm. i'm not sure on the hundred billion uh in earnings I think probably within the next two or three years it seems doable. Uh, depends. I guess it depends what number you use because they have like they have like four different earnings figures that you could use. There's like true free cash flow minus uh, what is it lease? Uh, yeah. So I would say do net of the finance leases just because I can mess with things. But I think with them operating income is fine. Yeah, it's fine. 
their EBIT, if I remember correctly, was at what thirteen billion dollars this quarter. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's really impressive. I. Uh, yeah, we we got this one right. Feels good to say we got this one right. I will also say the that period was one of the most fun times I've had as an investor where it was like Google, Amazon, they were trading so cheaply and the outlook was so bad that as long as you just like just ignored any of what investors were saying because the consensus at the time was that like retail is structurally unprofitable for Amazon. They are screwed there and they generate all their profits from AWS, but cloud is going to stop growing or it's going to hit maturity quicker than everyone thinks. If you, I think I'm just going to start buying fallen angels. If, if something's on my quality list and it drops more than 30%, I'm in. Yeah, that is interesting. What is also interesting, and maybe I'm remembering this incorrectly, but it, Amazon seemed much easier than Google from a, like, I don't know, just the conviction I had on Amazon was much higher than Google from just the uncertainty around all the stuff that could potentially disrupt Google's core profit engines. I had some uncertainty around Google's management team, like whether or not they would really continue to grow earnings or they would start investing heavily to compete with ChatGPT. But I never thought that the large language learning models were going to like replace key search. So I thought that part was a little easier and that seemed to be consensus at the time that search's moat was just like gone, which I saw someone said this. If Google doesn't have a moat, no digital business has a moat. And I think that's accurate. Yeah. Because I, I think live, like how many people just live on Google every day in their workplace? Most would be my guess. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I thought both were pretty easy. The only unfortunate part is that like when those become easy investments, it's like everything is. The market as a whole is usually down because of it. And there's mispricings galore. So you kind of have to pick and choose. So it turns out that those were probably the easier investments because the quality is so high, but it felt like Here's, everything in our portfolio was kind of down when those opportunities came up. Yeah. What was that? Now, end of 2022? Sorry? That was end of 2022, right? Beginning of 2023, we invested in Amazon. I had to force your hand a little bit. A little bit. But it's all right. Yeah, to force my hand in some other stuff. That's how it goes. The stock today is at a one point seven eight trillion dollar market cap. What do you think? I think I, I'm not gonna. I'm really tired of hearing their market cap. To be totally honest, because it discourages me. Whenever I hear any market cap above a trillion dollars, I just think like, uh, it's too large. Like, we're you know. How's it going to be able to give a better than market return from here? However, the growth rates are better than market. So I just want to ignore that. And I just, 
I constantly think law of large numbers whenever anyone quotes a market cap above a trillion dollars. However, Google, Amazon, maybe less so Apple today, they seem to defy that and continue to grow at will. So I'd rather just look at the multiples and just pretend that I don't know what the market cap is. When we bought it, it was below a trillion dollar market cap. Yeah, nine hundred trillion. Yeah, and I think nine hundred billion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look. What's interesting is at the time, it felt contrarian to get long those two, but I think today, it's. I don't know how to think about big tech. Let's ignore Tesla and Nvidia because it's a little more uncertain. But let's stick with the core ones that have been around a while. You got Facebook or Meta, Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, and Microsoft. I think right now, if I'm looking at the sentiment online, stuff I read, Wall Street Journal, wherever, people are saying, "Ah, it's just a big tech party. Like, you really going to join in now? But if I look at this tweet from Modest Proposal, it has now... This has Uber and DoorDash and Netflix in there. Let's ignore them. They're a little smaller. And yes, these are estimates. But if I look at Apple, the 2025 free cash flow multiple estimate is 24. Microsoft, 29. Google, 16. Meta, 20. Amazon, 22. They don't seem that expensive to me. Yes, it's 2025. Yes, that's not like dirt cheap, but... I kind of think, and I'm pretty bearish on Apple, but who knows? I heard they're going to come up with a flip phone like Samsung, and I, I got to say, I think a lot of people would buy that. I think they might, as a group, still outperform. My gut yeah. tells me that as a group, that they're going to still beat the market. How many times have people sat down and had this exact conversation over the last 10 years? The multiple is slightly above the market. Can they continue what they've done? Can they continue to grow as a percentage of the S&P 500? Like, yes. I okay, suspect the they will. I, here's, yeah. Here's a question for you. You buy a small cap factor ETF, standard factor, or equal weight these five. I was thinking about this a lot the other day, actually. And... This idea of like micro cap, especially that, you know, their day will come like a small cap value, their day, their day will come. This is kind of galaxy brain thinking here, but how much of it just has to do with the fact that so much of business today is done digitally and it's international and having scale and the money to like just exorbitant resources to win it, it constantly favors the big tech companies whereas maybe back in the day if it was you know largely physical businesses micro cap or small cap value could have their day and large cap could have their day whereas there's so many i guess just like increasing advantages to the big tech companies. It just seems hard to kind of slow them down. Yeah, I've thought as someone who's in Latin America right now, 
if you're bullish on basically Mexico and south of Mexico, you know, every country south of there, that kind of whole region, however you want to define it, including the Caribbean, if you're bullish on that region, you think GDP is going to go do well, and this could be any other region outside of the really developed economies, it's going to be good for Meta, because yeah. Instagram and WhatsApp is where life is run. It's going to be good for Google and or Alphabet and their associated services. It's going to be good for Apple, because they're going to grow their market share as people get richer. And who are, <clears throat> who are my other ones? Microsoft, yeah. Maybe a little bit less direct, but I still think so. Think, yeah, business formation in those economies favors Microsoft. And then Amazon's cloud definitely will be helped out by that. I guess probably Microsoft as well. Amazon maybe less so because... They can whatever, win anywhere. You know, it, they, like, yeah. yeah. And maybe that's what everyone said back in the day when like IBM was the largest company in the world. I don't know if they ever were, but like you just think that the competitive advantages are all these businesses are impregnable, but I just look at I look at it today and I think Apple and Google and Amazon are much better businesses than Sears in the eighties. True. True. Now, with that being said, I don't own a lick of big tech. <laughs> Same. My mag seven score is a whopping zero. No, no, it's two. It's two. Your mag seven score is two. It's one. We owned big tech for like six months. I guess eight months. No, that's not true. Google and Amazon. Google right? was longer than a year. Amazon was like 10 months. Okay. All right. I'll take a no. two. But you may have seen, since you share that account, David Gardner's Mag 7 score, 103. That's incredible. What a dog. God. The older I get, the more and more my philosophy just aligns with David Gardner. Yeah. Just make just, sure you buy at the right price. Yeah, and don't, like, don't sell. Just don't ever sell. Yeah. I think, well, people today, Meta, you know, it's up 300% in the last year or maybe a year and a half at this point. A lot of people are debating on whether to sell or to trim down their position. Now, I can understand if maybe you got an option position or something, or it's becoming a very large position in your portfolio, maybe trim it down. You know, maybe if it turned into like a giant percentage of your portfolio, trim it back down to a normal size position. But typically, when a business is really strong, if you look at it, like it pays to just never sell unless you think the business has just gotten out of hand. And all signs point to Meta's business getting better. So, I don't know. If you're going to sell one of these companies because it went up 100%, I'd really think about that. Now, yeah, if it turned into a giant bubble and it went up 500% in a year, that's a different story. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. I feel like we talk about that this too much, but maybe we talk about it every earnings season, I think, to revisit big tech. Um, I think that's going to do it. We're... We usually try to go a little over an hour to get an hour of content inside the advertisements. But for anyone listening, our next episode is going to be covering five stocks that are either on our watch list or that we're buying right now. It's a little tease. Like I said before, it is Coupon, Nintendo, Ally, Harbor Diversified, and Philip Morris International. So a good mix, small, large, international companies going to be a fun mix, I think. We're going to cover five of those, hopefully give some good insights into you know, what we're thinking, what kind of we're seeing, and 
hopefully people can come away. You know, we're not recommending people buy them or anything. It's just kind of, this is what we're looking at. You can kind of read it, agree, disagree, maybe give us some feedback, all that good stuff. We're all trying to learn together. Thank you everyone for listening to this episode and for reference that'll come out next Wednesday. If you're listening uh, to the Power Hour podcast right now. But yeah, let's hit the disclosure. We are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan, I, or any podcast guest may hold securities discussed in this podcast, may hold them in the future, and may have held them in the past. Okay. Thank you, everyone. And we'll see you next time.